Hi and welcome. We're so excited that you chose to join us today. And we hope that this message will inspire you to live the life that God designed you to live. For this message or others like it, you can go to our website or you can find us on our YouTube channel. Now sit back, relax, enjoy this message. Thank you. Give me a minute to get set up here. <clears throat> How's everybody doing? Good. It is so good to be here today. It's always good to be in church. It's always good to see family, which that's what you guys are. Did you guys know that? Your family. So that happened. Don't know if you realize when. But um, thank you. Sorry. I need to read. So they have to be right here. And I brought glasses, so I could. Um, I was reminded as I was prepping for this service, there's a scripture verse in Psalms, and it says, blessed are those who, planted, who are planted in the house of God, for they will flourish. And this morning, I just wanted to remind us of that promise. Whatever circumstance, whatever situation you are facing, the fact that you're here today means that you're hungry for spiritual things. The fact that you're here today means that either you desire to be planted in a church or you are planted and invested in a church. And so God wants to show up on your behalf. And I just felt like I was supposed to make sure that you guys knew that this morning. Um, but would you pray with me as we just begin this service? So, Father, I thank you that this morning when we woke up, you began a work today. And, Father, I thank you that you are going to complete that work. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to, um, you've already filled this room, but, God, to continue speaking to our hearts and continue making us aware of your of you being here and what that means for us. And we just, we just welcome you to come in fullness today. And Father, I just ask that you'd anoint every word that would come out of my mouth this morning, that those truths that you set in your word, God, that they, they do transform lives. And I thank you for transformed lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. There's a little poem um, that I found that kind of goes along. We've been talking about culture here. Pastor C's been talking about culture. And so basically I'm going to steal his notes and just add a few stories in. So that's all right. Just build on what you started. Um, but this poem, and I, it's actually author unknown, some monk in 1100 AD. But it said, when I was a young man, I wanted to change the world. I found it was difficult to change the world, so I tried to change my nation. When I found I couldn't change the nation, I began to focus on my town. And I couldn't change the town. As an I, and as an older man, I tried to change my family. It's kind of depressing, but anyway. Now, as an old man, I realize the only thing that I can change is myself. And suddenly I realize that if long, if, if long ago I had changed myself, I could have made an impact on my family. My family and I could have made an impact on our town. Their impact could have changed the nation, I, and I could indeed have changed the world. We've been talking about culture um, here the last few Sunday mornings and, and kind of... I'm going to define that a little bit, again, stealing Pastor Steve's notes. But culture is just the norm or what's normal for you. And everybody has a culture. Every family has a culture. This church has a culture. America has a culture. If you've gone on mission trips, which I have some stories today. But if you've gone on mission trips, you'll notice the difference when you walk into another culture. Because all of a sudden, you're aware of things that you do that maybe aren't. Or they're doing things. And you're like, what does that mean? Why would they do that? There's different, different things, but I'm just going to define this um, a little bit for us. It says, culture is a way of life for a group of people. The behaviors, beliefs, values they accept 
gen generally without even thinking about them and are passed along by the way we talk or the, what we see other people doing from one generation to the next. It's a set of shared attitudes, values, and goals and practices that characterize an organization. Families, workplaces, neighborhoods, cities, and nations all have cultures. How you define culture for you, which most of us are unaware, but that begins to answer some of the biggest questions that we have. Why are we here? What's the meaning of life? Um, what's really true? What happens after death? All of those questions start getting answered from a young age in our culture, in our setting. And most of the time we're unaware, I'm saying that again, most of the time we're totally unaware that there might be a different answer to those questions somewhere else. Um, we're here this morning because we, as a people group, have a shared value. And that value is coming together, gathering together about Jesus Christ and meeting about him. That's a scriptural um, encouragement or I don't know if it's a command. Yeah, forsake not gathering together. So that's something that we together share as a value. And that's why we're here this morning. We value family. We value relationships with one another. I guarantee you, and I heard the, the talking and the laughing to prove it, when you walked in here, there was a spirit of joy in that lobby. And I hope you felt it. Because there are smiles on people's faces. In our church here, one of our cultural norms is that we are huggers. And Doug Dolan learned the hard way that every now and then the guys just slap each other, do the football slap. And so, I mean, there's different things that are culturally normal. Um, culture is a strong part of people's lives. It influences their views, their values, their humor, their hopes, what they can hope for, what they'll allow themselves to think is possible who they're loyal to, you talk to a Vikings or a Green Bay Packers fan, I guarantee you it's because they grew up somewhere. And their worries and fears. Culture is learned. Um, we, all set, or we all carry a set of core values which are our deepest convictions. And if you dissect it and if you can watch, most conflict in relationships is around value issues or cultural their culture told them something was important, and now that value is being bumped up against. And so there's a reaction or there's a response because you want to fight for what you think is normal. Um, values are not what we say, but values are actually a function. Wait, what was that? They're actually our actions. It's not what we say we value. It's the behaviors. If you watch behaviors, that's going to be showing us what you value. Healthy values are a healthy culture. Healthy values help produce a healthy identity. Healthy identities produce healthy families. And healthy families produce healthy communities. I've watched this in this church. Um, I'm, a, I'm a product of growing up here since I was 11. And I've watched the families here and what they value and the relationships. Because they valued relationship, it affected my life. And it reinforced something for me about what was normal. Um, I said in the beginning... I've gone on a couple of mission trips, and I just want to show that kind of the difference. You walk around the world, which I know we've got an audience from around the world, so hello and welcome. I know Sri Lanka watches, Ukraine watches, we've got South Americans watching all around the country, so hello and welcome. We're international, guys. So when I say these, I'm going to be pretty <laughs> careful, but we were... We were on a mission trip to India in 2006, and one of the things that we were coached on in the airport, because it was a long layover, middle of the night, Hyderabad, 
was don't show them the bottom of your feet. Because in that culture, that is actually disrespectful. If you're showing somebody your feet, the bottom of your feet, you're actually showing them disrespect. Something completely off our radar, but you were, were watching it even though it was 3 a.m. Um, in Sri Lanka, this threw me for a loop. We went in, I think it was 05. And if you go to Sri Lanka, when they say okay, it like in America, we go, okay, yes. In Sri Lanka, they go, okay, right? <laughs> they go, okay. And so you got to watch. Well, now what's their no? No is still that, but okay is this. So you have to watch for the little micro expression there. Um, you know, one thing that's common about Americans, they say that they can spot an American in Europe because we walk with our head up and our eyes up. They attribute it to having hope for what could be just part of embedded in our culture, but they can spot us from a mile away. We experienced that when we were in France. They knew we were Americans. It was actually kind of eerie because they knew, even when we tried to blend a little bit, it didn't work out. I tried my best to be a French person. It, it didn't work out. One of the longest mission trips of my life, we went on, was it three weeks in, in 05? We went to Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand and actually went with Clint Rogers, who will be here next week. He's speaking at our camp. Um, we went for a few weeks over there, and it was long, and it was new. It was the first time I'd been out of the country. And so you got all the shots, and you got your passport, and you packed your bags with a thousand things you didn't need, but you didn't know you didn't need them. And then got over there, but I'll never forget it. On the way home, we had this layover. I mean, you can only go so long where you're eating. Well, I don't know. I'm talking to missions pastor over here, so maybe you can go forever, but... You're eating rice and pineapple to stay safe. In Cambodia, there was some wild soup that we we happily ate because that's what you do. But it was an experience. But on our way back home, I'll never forget, we had a layover in Hawaii. And we met this guy. I was 18, but this did not go past me. He was, he was American. He was the security agent that was grabbing our bags to, you know, kind of see if we were legit and we didn't smuggle anything from overseas but he had the biggest smile on his face and he looked at us like like hey welcome home I mean I know that some of us on that on that trip wanted to get down and kiss the ground when we got off the plane because it was like we're home and we weren't even home we were hours away from home but we met that man who smiled at us and was laughing and it was like we're friends now <laughs> there's something different about different cultures just, just a few more. Typically, uh, or tipping is common in America, but considered rude in Japan, just so you know. Typically, Americans wait in their turns in line, although I've heard stories, not around here. Typically, we smile and joke. Um, overseas or in different countries, personal bubbles can be different. Americans, we like our space, don't we? We like a little bit, especially country, country people around here. We like a little bit of a bubble. When you get a little bit tighter, it changes for other other places. I had a cousin. I mean, that's overseas. Um, I have a cousin that is or that lived in the cities, and she'd come up here and visit. And she could not get over the fact that when she'd drive, she'd be waved at all the time. The farmer wave, though, it was like the one little finger. We all do this. I know we do. But that's just normal around here. Down there, I'd go down there and visit her, and I'd be smiling and saying hi to everybody. And she's like, don't do that. We're in the city. Stop it. <laughs> so, you know, it's just normal. I think in Washington, D.C., one time, I was with my mom and my sister Leah, and we were on one of those shuttle buses bringing us to the hotel, and I was saying bye. 
to the people that would get off the bus. My mom looks at me and she's like, honey, we're not in the country anymore. You got to stop. <laughs> um, around here, it's pretty common to go into any small cafe and see the farmers having breakfast and catching up on how their crops have changed overnight. So um, that's a normal thing. In this church, right? In this church, we have a lot of norms. Um, and I don't know how to define it. Like I said, we hug. Probably gets smiled at a lot. Um, in this church, we grew up, and serving is really normal here. So this next week, it's going to be teen camp. And then at the end of the month, it's kids camp. And it's you don't even ask. or Well, you do ask because that's the polite thing to do. But a lot of our... Um, Young adults or, you know, 20s and 30s, they don't even think about it. They schedule their week off so they can be at camp because that's just what we do around here is we make camps happen. Because that's what people did for us is they made the camps happen. Serving is really normal around here. And we have a ball while we do it. Um, I remember my husband and his brother, Jer, they used to clean the church around, clean the church for years and when they'd go on trips or whatever, me and Leah would, would clean for them. But it was just kind of normal, like, oh, you got to go. We got this. That's kind of a thing that's normal around here. Families have cultures. I just realized we have a family culture, our little family of four, almost five. We, we moved um, from a little country house, so we had room, um, to, to whatever, to a little apartment. And I realized something. We are a loud family. I've got two toddlers we make everybody know when we get home, up in the up the aisles and down the stairs, and they hear us from the when the doors close. So we have a loud family culture. Um, different settings like that change right there make you recognize what your normal is. And one of the biggest changes um, that I recognize where culture gets figured out is marriage. Now my in-laws are sitting here on the front row, so I'm going to talk about this real tenderly. But, and then my parents are in the back, but every family has culture. One of the things that we talked about in the beginning was how culture shapes your humor. And one of the things that me and Sam noticed when we grew up is we had different language because we thought different things were funny. See, in the Cornamone house, they grew up, it's all good, they grew up on Dumb and Dumber. And anything Ace Ventura or anything Jim Carrey, as far as I can tell. And that was just part of their lingo. In the Drexler house, we grew up on Wayne's World. So if I say around my family, live in the now, we understand what that means completely, or anything that was Adam Sandler, really. But that shaped what we thought was funny. <laughs> and so all of a sudden you had different humor that needed to come together a little bit. It took seven years, but um, me and Sam, we finally became one. No. <laughs> Last year, I think it was the winter that maybe helped this process, but, I mean, a normal Saturday would in the Drexler house for the ladies would be we'd, we'd do our cleaning and stuff, and then we'd sit down and we'd watch Jane Austen, which if you don't know who Jane Austen is, author, 1800s, English accents, Mr. Darcy, Mr. Knightley, all of them, Emma, all of it. But we'd sit down and we'd watch Pride and Prejudice, which is six hours long if you're doing it right. No Kiera Knightley versions allowed. Anyway, <laughs> Sam finally, though, he sat down and he watched it with me. And I'm telling you, I was beaming the entire time because I was like, you're going to understand me. And I feel so known. This is my world. 
The trade-off, though, was I, I didn't grow up on, uh, I should know the author's name, but I didn't grow up on Lord of the Rings. And so one winter, we watched all three Lord of the Rings. So that's nine hours, guys. I think you owe me another Jane Austen. But um, <laughs> we watched Lord of the Rings, and I tell you what, I was walking outside to go get the mail. It was broad daylight. It was like noon on some Saturday. I heard now what I understood to be a snowmobile, but in my head I was so much in the world of Lord of the Rings that it felt like an orc, and I took off running. I just was in Lord of the Rings world. But that, that was just the norms. We're trading our cultures a little bit. Now, those are the fun examples. Um, I'll finish this part, but on our honeymoon, there was a really funny moment where it, it had probably been a day and a half. We'd gone out to dinner, and we were both sitting there, and we're pretty <laughs> – he's talking to Seth. It's not an awkward story at all. <laughs> like, it's not even an awkward story. <laughs> but, you know, so we – had all this free time now, and so we sat and we were out at dinner and we looked at we looked at each other and we were being real quiet and kind of like not at all. And he goes, "All right, I gotta say something. I just can't be so stressed out about you having fun right now. So I'm just gonna you if you need to do something different, you just tell me." And I'm like, "I'm stressed out that you're having fun. Thank God for saying something." I, this stuff should have been ironed out. This is what happens when you just don't live together and you figure it all out on the road, right? So we looked at each other and we established that our cornerman culture for vacation is complete bum mode. We don't do things. We don't, we maybe, maybe do one thing. And that's an energy output that we'll need to take a nap about later. So when it's vacation mode, we're going to go into bum time. We're not going to be ambitious. Culture is really important, and there's moments like that where you, you try to meld together, and all of a sudden you realize, whoa, we are different. We are different people right here. Um, and that's, we're going to bring this to something spiritual, because I, I know you're all w wondering, <laughs> what are we doing up there, Lauren? But heaven has a culture. Jesus has a culture. The flip side is the world has a culture. And as we were gloriously saved, we were taken out of, the, out of the hands of death by mercy and grace and compassion and brought into a family with God. And in that process, there are things that were our normal that can no longer be our normal. There are perspectives and um values and beliefs now that have to change. But if you don't recognize what a big moment that was and you don't try to unify your life completely with the kingdom, you're not going to know what to change. And the Holy Spirit's here this morning and he's been brooding on us the last few weeks asking provoking questions. Is what's important to me important to you? As a church, um, we're being asked this, but as individuals, as families, we're being asked these questions. You know, there's a, a couple years ago, there was a situation in my life that I could not get past. I could, I was just stuck in this way of thinking. I was, I mean, I'm not gonna tell you what the situation was, but I was kind of like just lost, kind of bitter, didn't know what to think about something, didn't know how to look at it. And so I called up 
Kevin, who around here, he's, he's a father, or like a father of our faith, but not like the Hebrews version. I don't know what he is. Anyway, father in the culture, Uncle Kevin. Anyway, I called him up and I said, Kevin, I need some fatherly perspective. I don't know how to look at this. And he told me this story, you know, because instead of giving a straightforward answer, like this is what you should do, <laughs> he told a story, kind of a riddle. And he said, he asked me, when God anointed Jehu, which I'm like vaguely remembering Sunday school lessons from back in the day. When God anointed Jehu over Israel, he goes, who threw Jezebel out the window? And then he paused and he waited for an answer. And I was like, uh, Ahab? <laughs> which is the wrong answer, guys. And he looked at you like, <laughs> he on the phone, he's like, no. <laughs> so after he was exasperated with me, he did explain it a little bit. But this morning, would you please turn with me to 2 Kings? Yeah, so after that, I read my Bible a little bit, got freshened up on the stories. But, um, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this, but in 2 Kings 9, and if you want to just jump down to 30, that's all cool, but I'm going to set up the story for you. Okay, so here's the deal. Elijah had gone taken, uh, had been taken up to heaven, but before he went, he, he laid out all these prophecies because there's a lot of idolatry in the world. The kingdom was kind of, it was total, it was split, and they were worshiping Baal. They weren't worshiping God anymore. They were worshiping Baal. And it was terrible. They did evil things. And, and their whole system was set up on this Baal worship. Um, and Elijah laid out these prophecies for Ahab that said, this will not stand. And, and it says about Ahab, and I wrote this down. It says about Ahab, and he was the king at the time. No one else had so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab, under the influence of his wife Jezebel. Yeah, I know. And when they talk about Jezebel, all the ladies get a little freaked out. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> ah, no, it's all good. Anyway, um, so what happened is Elijah gone to heaven, but Elisha is carrying this, this, uh, these prophetic words or the authority at the time. So he sends some young prophet and he goes, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find Jehu. He's the commander of the army. And I want you to take him in a private room. I want you to anoint him. And then I want you to open the door and run for your life. So I don't know. Anyway, that's, and so that's what the prophet did. He came and he found Jehu was sitting with the other commanders of the army and said, I got a message uh, for you. And then Jehu excused himself, went back. Uh, the prophet said, you're anointed king of Israel and you're supposed to take out all of Ahab's line because that's what the prophecy said. Now you're the man to do it. And then the prophet ran for his life. Now Jehu came out and he sat down and they said, well, what was that madman talking about? And Jehu, literally, that's what the Bible says. <laughs> I think they were mocking him. And Jehu had a choice to make at that point. He could have passed, passed this moment by. But instead he said, well, in fact, he kind of did try to. But they wouldn't let him. They said, no, you tell us. And he said, well, he anointed me king of Israel. And so they threw their cloaks down and they said, Jehu is king. And, they, and then Jehu hatched this scheme where he was going to ride to Jezreel, whatever, all these names. It's all good. You're, you're not missing a thing. So they're going to go to Jezreel where the king was, Joram, and the other guy, Ahaziah, Ahaziah, here we are, of Judah. So the two kings were together and they had an alliance. 
And Joram was Ahab's son. So when he went there, it says Jehu drove like a madman, and that's how they knew it was him. I'm going to not say a comment. Anyway, that's how they knew it was him. And when he got there, the kings came out because they were curious. This is their commander-in-chief. They're wondering what was happening. And when they realized it was, because it, it, here's what he said. Do you come in peace, Jehu? And Jehu replied, how can there be peace as long as the idolatry and witchcraft of your mother Jezebel are all around us? He confronted the culture in that one statement right there. And he laid out, I am going to put a stop to this. And they said, treason, run. And he, he launched an arrow. It got Jehu in the back. He died. Prophecy came through. He's in a field. And then he launched another arrow, and the other king died, the king of Judah. He was buried, buried with his ancestors. So there he is. He just took out the kings. Now he had one more that, that was on his list for the day, and that was Jezebel. So he went to Jezreel. This is kind of where we pick it up. Like my paraphrasing, right? <laughs> I don't know what version that is. Anyway, when Jezebel, the queen mother, now I want you to go with me here because this is good. When Jezebel, the queen mother, heard that Jehu had come to Jezreel, she painted her eyelids and fixed her hair and sat at a window. Don't you think that is an interesting response for somebody who just found out that the kings were just dead? Potentially could be her son. I'm actually not sure about the history. Interesting response when your son dies, Jezebel. But there was a scheme there. This was, this was part of her play, guys. And so it says, she painted her eyelids and fixed her hair and sat at the window. When Jehu entered the gate of the palace, she shouted at him, have you come in peace, you murderer? Which in my experience, if you shout at a man when they walk through the door, it's not a good plan. So what is she doing? <laughs> I see some mixture here. You're just like Zimri who murdered his master. And I'm going to say one thing. Jehu looked up and saw her at the window and shouted, who is on my side? Now we're going to boil this down for a second because this, that's a really interesting response. There's two things about this that are fascinating. Number one, if you read about Jezebel, if you know anything about Jezebel, she's a seductress. And that was her whole thing. And around her, that influence had influenced Ahab. It had influenced all the kings. Now she had killed all these prophets of God. And she was sold out to Baal. And she was an evil lady. No, no limits, no boundaries, right? But there was a culture that she'd set up around her that Ahab couldn't have fought if he tried. Well, maybe he could have with God's help, but he didn't try. And so he was under the spell of her, of her thing. And so when, she, when it says that she painted her eyelids and fixed her hair, she was going to try to use her culture, her normal, her play on Jehu, to get this thing to stop. She wanted control. Cultures want control. When you fight against them, when you confront them, especially if it's the enemy, there is a fight. Now watch this. So when that, if that didn't work, her other scheme was to say, to shout at him, have you come in peace, you murderer? You're just like Zimri who murdered his master. Now a little backstory on what that means. Zimri was also a commander who took out a king who was fulfilling a prophecy. He reigned for seven days, got freaked out because they had picked another guy to be king, and he burned himself alive. What she was trying to do here was to shame him. 
saying, you went about this the wrong way, therefore you will fail. Look at this, you guys. There's two different things that she's trying to play to get the word of the Lord, the assignment of God, this change to happen. Because if Jehu did follow through with that prophecy and threw down the family line of Ahab, worship would be restored to God, Jehovah. So this was a controlling moment right here. And so look at what Jehu says. Jehu looked up and saw her at the window and shouted, and it says in another version, up the stairs. So he didn't even allow himself to enter into the room. Who is on my side? Which is the question that Kevin asked me. Who threw Jezebel out the window? And here, here's who we're going to find out. And two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Now, to be tender, what is a eunuch? A eunuch was a guard for the chambers of kings and queens. Now, the reason why, uh, why these people did this is because to eliminate mixture of the family line or disloyalty, they would remove the re reproductive organs. And so note, note this. A eunuch would have no ability to respond to Jezebel's seduction. That's why. The eunuchs were the one who responded to Jehu and said, what's up? They looked out the window and Jehu said, throw her down. And so they threw her, and I'm going to find the rest of the scripture, out the window and her blood splattered against the wall and on the horses. And Jehu trampled her body under his horse's hooves. Now this is graphic, sorry guys. <laughs> but this, this, I don't know what God was talking about. A lot of these kings that were evil, he talks about dogs eating them. I just, it's some graphic stuff. But you see the significance in that. A eunuch was one that did not, was not able to respond to the culture that was normal for Jezebel. Therefore, that was the one. They had nothing inside of them. They were emptied of something that could respond to that culture. This is who we're called to be. This is what we're called to be. They were not phased by the seduction of Jezebel. They would not respond. So to, so to boil this down back to the situation, Kevin goes, who threw Jezebel out the window? Well, it was the one that didn't have to respond to her culture. He said to me, the answer to your situation, Lauren, is not going to be found in your culture, your normal culture. It's going to be found with a heavenly perspective. It's going to be found with what's normal from a heavenly perspective. And I want to encourage us today. I want to encourage us today. Every situation that we encounter cannot be responded to with the attitudes, the normals, the values, the beliefs that we're familiar with. It is a heavenly culture that changes the world. It isn't because we're nice people. It's because we literally carry heaven. We carry redemption. We carry mercy. We carry compassion to the world around us. And we bring the answer from the perspective of the kingdom. And there's something that happens when we make the choice that says, I will be emptied out of the values and what was normal from my past. And I'm saying this, the Christian life is a life of exchange. Come on, our ashes, he gives us beauty. Our sadness, he gives us gladness. Uh, any any, any um, iniquity, he forgives. Everything that needs to be healed, he has the healing. This, this life is a life of exchange. Exchanging perspectives is a normal thing. I want to go, um, I am jumping around. I now understand how that happens. When you're up here, 
We need to respond to the heavenly response. Heaven's normal, not my default. Because the eunuchs responded, and because Jehu held his ground when he was being shamed, an entire society was changed. Um, there's different scripture verses that uh, Pastor Steve has used, and one of them has been Ephesians 2. And it says, if you, if, would you turn there with me, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 2. Um, it was talking about once you were like corpses, dead in your sins and offenses. It wasn't that long ago, this is now verse 2, that you lived in a religious, in a religion, custom, and values of this world, obeying the ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere. Now listen to me, this is unconscious. We were born into this stuff. But there was a choice that made, because if you jump down in four, but God still loved us with great love, this is his response. And this is what sealed the deal and brought us close. Not our works, not our merits, grace alone. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. This is kingdom normal that we would begin when we experience that moment of being saved, that everything shifts in our life, that we recognize that was death. That wasn't just, oh, you know, that was a bummer. That was death operating in our lives. And now he sees things completely different. You know, if you think back to uh, Genesis 2, The command was to Adam and Eve before they fell was be fruitful and multiply, multiply, establish the environment that is here. Well, that's my words. But establish and spread it out is what some versions say. That was not just about having a lot of babies and, and making a lot of people in the, world, uh, in, the, in the world. That was about taking what was normal in the garden, tending it, keeping it. And expanding it and spreading it. And that there, what was normal there would fill the earth. And that it would fill those that would come behind them. Those that they would raise up, their sons and their... That this entire society would be permeated by what was normal in the garden. Now how did they know what was normal? It says God would come down and walk with them in the cool of the evening. He, they would sit there and they would talk about the issues of the day. And that's how they discovered, oh, I guess that's what's normal. That's what's normal. That's what's normal. That's the life that we're called to is to, is to in every aspect of our life, whether it's your, your job, your relationships, your, your, the questions on the inside, why am I here? Well, God, what did you put inside of me? What about this situation? What about this financial problem? What about this health issue? All of those things were meant to be found Okay, when I walk with God in the cool of the evening, when I develop this relationship with him, I'm going to ask him about that question. Do you understand he's, that that commandment has not changed? Be fruitful and multiply and expand and spread. And this would be that same family culture of what was normal in the garden would fill the earth. You know, when Jesus said, oh, I, I had a couple of good things I wanted to say about that. But. Our Christian walk is meant to be a consistent conversation about, Father, how do you see this? And now there's such a lie that says you can't hear from God. Can I just say that is such a lie. You were made to hear his voice. You are his sheep. You hear him. It's the enemy that would try to bring doubt and confusion. 
you can hear him. And so ask him these questions. Father, how do you see this? You know, in the kingdom, maturity is growing more and more dependent on the voice of God. Where in the world, maturity would be, you know, steps of independence, steps of independence. I remember when, we, when I got married, my mama goes, my mama, no, my mom would say, well, I'm going to spin you off into your own little orbit, which means slowly I'm going to hand you the things of what it takes to be an adult. <laughs> uh, that started when I graduated. Anyway, it stunk. It stinks. <laughs> I want to go back to being a kid. But anyway, the mandate has not changed. In Matthew 6.10, there's another thing. You know, Jesus was sitting there. You guys know this. You're familiar with it. But this is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. You know, that wasn't Jesus just sitting there and saying, you pray this prayer and I'll come back and I'll establish my kingdom. That was him saying, you partner with me. You partner with me. You seek me first. I'll add everything else that you need. But, but you, you are the ones that will release heaven on earth. The mandate has not changed, guys. God is literally waiting for us to grab his hand and say, let's do this thing. Let's establish the kingdom of heaven. What's normal in heaven should be normal around us. When people walk in this building, it literally should be like they're walking into heaven, guys. Heaven should be in this room, which to some capacity, it's already here, which is why you're here. Church is lame without Jesus. You guys wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for, I mean, right, I mean, come on. If he's not here, why would we be here? Jesus wasn't suggesting that they sit back. He was asking them for a partnership. The same partnership in the garden. You know, in Romans it says all of creation sits there and waits for the sons and daughters to realize who we are. It says in heaven, all of heaven sits there like a cloud of witnesses. Now, why would, they see, why would they say that? When you look up at the clouds, it's immense. Imagine that that cloud there was a face, with faces of people that had gone on before us saying, come on, build on what I did. Come on, release heaven. Come on, run the race. Don't get tangled up by the things that are normal in the world. Keep your eyes, set your eyes, fix your gaze on Jesus. He is the answer to every problem. It sounds so cliche, and I know, I mean, I used to, I used to come to different leaders and be like, I don't know, how, does, how do you see this? I'll never forget it. My dad would go, well, it's Jesus. Well, it's Jesus. He is the answer. He is the hope. We're not going to find this answer in making a nicer anything. We're not going to find this answer to how to save the world by being nicer people, guys. If, if, if we walk in a room, think about this, and we carry the joy of heaven, depression can cease. Healing can be normal. You know, you look at um, another time. I'm making a choice at the moment. There's a lie in this particular culture that says, I won't go into the lie, Yante. I know we don't like that. But the lie that says to stay small. Don't get noticed. Be chill. Be cool. Just stay small. Be cool. That lie is in this society, is in this culture. And you watch it. If people pop out, it's not long before people want to pull them down. That's a thing. But that's not kingdom. That's a cultural thing. Because I never see God talking to somebody like that. 
I see him talking to Abraham and saying, you are the father of many nations. I see him talking to Moses and saying, you're a deliverer. We saw him talking to Gideon saying, while Gideon was hiding, every part of the situation around him was contrary. But he said to Gideon, you mighty hero, you mighty man of valor, rise up. I never see God talking to somebody and saying, just stay small, behave yourself, be cool, just settle down a little bit. Hide, hide, hide. You never see God talking to people like that. So why would we talk to people like that? Do we realize that we talk to people like that? Do we realize that we talk to ourselves like that? We need to make the exchange and say, I will be who God called me to be. And I will stand up and do what God called me to do. And I will not let shame talk me out of that. And I will not be seduced by a culture that says contrary than what Jesus has said to me. While being merciful and compassionate and nice, you know. Every time God called people, he called them higher. We saw this with Peter. If you, um, which I know Pastor Steve talked about, and so I, I mean, is any of this a new idea? I don't know. I'm just talking about what Pastor Steve talked about. Anyway, uh, in Acts 2, which is one of the places, and I'm going to kind of end here. But in Acts 2.40, if you guys would turn there, we see what was normal in the early church. This is after Jesus went to heaven. And there's something about this, I, I don't know if you read this last week or the week prior, but there's something about this passage that draws me to it. Because you see, you see, um, here's what they did and here's what it produced. Culture produces something. So in Acts 2.40, Peter, if you look, I mean, it's a, it's a long chapter. This is when the Holy Spirit came on the scene. He was explaining to people. This was the day everybody got saved, and the crowd's response was, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? So he was explaining it to them. And at the end, he says, be rescued from this crooked and perverse culture, from the crooked and perverse culture of the world. Now, I'm going to say one thing. You don't have any authority over something that you don't carry love for. So I'm not saying let's hate everybody in the world. Hear me well. I'm saying we surrender to God and say, God, what's normal? What's normal? And that's our consistent question. And then with that, we bring that out. Does that make sense? I wanted to clarify. Those who believed that day were numbered 3,000, and they were all baptized and added to the church. And now watch, in 242, it says, Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings, which another translation says trainings of the apostle." The apostles, their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. And here's what it produced. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone. And the apostles performed miraculous signs and wonders. Awe and wonder is normal in, the, in heaven. That's what filled the room. Signs and wonders and miracles are God supernaturally changing situations. That's what filled the room. As they faithfully devoted themselves to the teachings, their hearts were mutually linked to one another, unity, sharing communion, coming together regularly to uphold spiritual things for prayer. I'm adding some words in there. Then it goes on. All the believers were in fellowship as one body. So much of the kingdom of God is unity here, guys. And they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. 
Daily they met together in the temple courts, which is another name for church, and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. And now watch this. They were continually filled. This is the product of it or what it produced. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. You know, that word coming to life there, that's the church, right? Ecclesia is another one. And what that, another way of saying that is the called out ones. Called out of the world's culture and into something different and something new. Have I convinced you yet? Are we done? <laughs> if you look, in, in, and this is where I'm going to close today, but in Matthew 16, 18... I'm going to set this up for a second. It was Jesus sitting with his disciples, and he asked them this question. What are the people saying about me, the Son of Man? Who do they believe that I am? And they answered and, and said, some are convinced that you're John the baptizer, who had died. Others say you're Elijah reincarnated, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus goes, but you, who do you say I am? Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the anointed one, the son of the living God. This was before that sermon. This was, this was before that. This was before a lot of stuff was revealed. It was, it was basically riddles between Jesus and his disciples, which he'd go, please see this. How can you not see this? Jesus replied, you are blessed, favored, and privileged, Simeon, son of Jonah. For you didn't discover this on your own, but my Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. And then watch what happens in 18. Because up to that point, Jesus goes, who do you say I am? He's asking to locate something in their hearts. And then watch his response. Because after Peter defines him accurately, Jesus defines Peter in that moment. And this is why he was able to give that sermon. And this is why they were able to add to the church. Because of this experience where he said... I give you the name Peter, a stone. And you are the stone, or this is the truth, of whom I will build the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. Now hear me, that, that word church, we saw it already, called out ones. But this one says, the legislative assembly. It's not a religious term. It's a governmental term. The ones who are meant, the called out of the world, but meant to establish the culture now. We are the legislative assembly. It goes on. Come on. And the power, the powers of hell is one version, but the power of death will not be able to overpower it. The culture won't be able to overpower what we can establish. And I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on the earth that which is released in heaven. He's called us. He's given an assignment. And then he's given us the keys. He's given us what's normal. He's given us the access to lay it down on the world. This is the, it's the question, will you do it? Will you exchange your normal for his normal? Will you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, where is what I'm valuing, not necessarily what you're valuing? And you can have it all. And you can have it all. Because I want to establish what your normal is. And the gates of hell will not be able to overpower it. That's an exciting thing to me. 
The family of God is meant to be the ones that carry the values of heaven. Worship team, you guys can come up. We're meant to transform the earth, to heal societies, to bring answers to the world around us, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. This does is not dependent upon a personality type or a gift mix. You could be the quietest person on the earth, but what fills you is the culture of heaven. When you walk into a room, things have to change. Nobody else around you might not know who you are and what you carry, but the enemy knows. And he's the one that gets scared. You can quietly and so stealthily pick up your sword and change something around you. I think the Lord is asking us this morning, who is on my side that I can work mightily through? You know, Jehu, he did what he was supposed to do, but it wasn't, this, it wasn't something he hadn't done before. He, he was a commander in the army. He'd killed people before. It was not his, he didn't ask him to do some supernatural work. He asked him to say yes, to not get, um, to not get phased by shame, to not get phased by the voice that says stay small, to not be seduced by the culture around you because your eyes are fixed on my face and what I've told you to do. And then he was able to do it and change society. And he did establish worship to God after that. Now, he kept a couple altars, and we can talk about that another day. Don't do that. But he did establish something. Would you guys stand with me, if you will? Um, I'm going to close. But there was, there was one thing that was really inspiring. It was Lisa Bevere. If you know Lisa Bevere, she's got four boys. And here's how it goes. She'd line them up every morning. And this is what she said. May we... See, oh my goodness, I can't even read. That's hilarious. Excuse me. May we see up close what other generations have only seen in a distance. May we speak out loud what other generations only, do, only have dared to whisper. May we lay hold of with our hands what other generations have only touched in prayer. We are for signs, wonders, and miracles. We are not for death and destruction. You are disciples taught of the Lord, and great is your peace and undisturbed composure. Go out and change the world. What she was doing there was creating something inside of those boys that was going to respond to a world that was going to test everything they knew that was normal. But she was putting an identity, she was putting a culture inside of them that could stand up to it. And God's visiting us as a church to have an answer for every problem. And to establish what's normal in the kingdom is normal in this church, as normal in your families, as normal with you. But it starts with a choice to exchange it all. Does that make sense? I want to do one more thing. As I was praying yesterday, and then we're going to sing a song. As I was praying yesterday, I, I was, um, I just felt the Lord, and it was no accident that Linda, you shared about legacy this morning. But, and it was just short, but I, I felt like God said, thank you for holding to the promises that I've said. Thank you for, for holding to the prophecies that I've said. You've journaled and you've chronicled them in your heart and you will see them. And not just you, but generations. Thank you for your faithful persistence in prayer, in how you speak, and in how you walk. 
um, we're going to sing a song. And so let's go into this time of worship and just hear from Jesus, huh?
so so powerful to think about that that 
Jehu heard God through the prophet, heard God's voice. And God said, I'm gonna do something so amazing because at that time, Jezebel and her husband Ahab, they, they had actually a powerful kingdom, but it was filled with idolatry. And, he go, and God says, I'm gonna change it. I'm gonna change this whole culture. And uh, you know that's, that's why it's so important to hear the voice of God. You know, sometimes we struggle with things and we get so caught up in our struggle that we sometimes we fail to step back and go, wait a second, God, if we hear if we can hear God's voice and move forward, God can do something spectacular. You know, um, <clears throat> over the years, Linda shared this. I, I you sort of forget, and this I'm glad you shared what you shared in the thing. Um, we had a lady, we just had a funeral for her this last week. Her name is Doris, and she was 94, right? 94. She she came here when she was 60 years old. Was it 60? 64, and uh, she got saved. And she, no one in her whole family, she had seven kids, no one in her whole family, none of them were saved. And she got saved. The end result was her whole family got saved. And then they got, when they got married, not all of them got married, but the ones that did, then they became Christian homes. They raised up Christian grandchildren. So that one step, that one act of her getting saved, it became a ripple effect. And sometimes you don't realize how important your obedience to God is because we create together a culture that people come in here and they experience God. And when they experience God, what happens is it has an effect upon their, upon their lives and upon the lives of their families. It creates a ripple effect. Isn't that powerful? So thank you, Lauren, for sharing that. It was awesome. Great word. I want to give you the opportunity to be prayed for. Uh, the, if prayer counselors could please come forward. If you need prayer for anything, a spiritual need that you have, financial need, whatever that you have, just want to encourage you to, as soon as I dismiss, please come forward and be prayed for. And uh, you're going to have a great time. Remember that next week we have uh, Clint Rogers is going to be here. It's going to be awesome. Clint Rogers is an awesome man of God. And he's got quite a testimony, quite a story. So he'll be, up, he'll be here next week sharing the word with us. Amen. Lord, thank you for your people today. I just, they're so awesome. They're so valuable to you. They're so precious to you, Lord. And I just pray, God, that you would touch them and anoint them this week for uh, hearing your voice and responding, Lord. And I just pray a blessing upon them now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. You're free to go. There's some refreshments in the back. But if you do need prayer, please come forward. And I want you to know that he can give you today a new future. We hope this message has been a blessing to your life. A copy of this message and additional Destiny Church materials are available at destinychurchexit77.org.